Adonai Jezik was walking towards the great hall of his palace. He was covered in an ornate purple robe covered in jewels, gliding down the hall, altogether an impressive figure, ornate in appearance, very princely, tall, with great posture. He was headed to a gathering of the kings, a meeting he called to hedge himself against the descendants of Abraham, the growing threat of the Israelites. Today he carried his jeweled scepter instead of his enormous sword as he strolled his palace, arriving at a meeting of the Amorite kings. How is she? he said in a soft voice to one of his commanders awaiting at the entrance of the hall. She confesses to worshiping Yahweh. I knew it, the king answered with glee, hitting his scepter against his hand. He turned immediately and walked away from the entrance and turned back and looked at his commander. Make her recant, he snarled. The commander looked at him and shook his head and began to walk past him. Consider it done, he said as he walked away, and then he stopped and turned around. My lord, yes, what if she doesn't repent? The king glided back into his face, snarling further. Then she must be dealt with. The commander stared at the king. But, but, what? She's, she's Molly Isis. She's your wife. Adonai Jezik bent down, and this time his face grew red, grimacing, revealing gruesome scarring on his face, especially his neck, from many a military campaign, and one so many years ago. No, no one can worship Yahweh in my kingdom. Once his family business was dealt with, he entered the hall. His face returned to normal and his posture changed to reveal a self-confident, dignified king and well-respected man of the land. No scars could be seen on his face, especially the horrible fire marks covered with unusual, dignified, princely features. He was now the seducer of man, and this is what he did. One by one, he would greet ambassadors and shake hands with the kings and ambassadors of the southern Amorite kings of Canaan. All was good, unfolding according to his plan. These kings, once enemies, were rallying around his banner. What he desired was coming true. He approached his seat in the hall at the head of the hall where there were six seats. His seat was near the center, and as he sat down, he looked down the row, and there was Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japha, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. But next to him was an empty seat. All the southern Amorite principalities were represented in this meeting except one. He tried to ignore the obvious, but self-control was not one of his virtues. Hoham began the meeting by discussing their current situation, trade agreements, and relations between the kingdoms after very elaborate, prideful boast upon Adonai Jezik himself. All the while, Adonai Jezik's face grew red, then redder, until his veins could be seen on his neck, and those horrible scars could be seen again. Where are they? he mumbled. Where are they? he said louder. Hoam paused his speech. My lord, do you have something to share? Where are they? Who, my lord? He stood up, carrying his scepter, gripping it so tightly muscles bulged from his arms, which also exposed those horrible scar marks. He is now standing, pointing his scepter towards the table in front of the empty chair. 
Where are the Gibeonites? He screamed, terrifying the hall with his horrible voice. A silence hit the room until Deber stood up. My lord, they said they could not make it. They said something about prior engagements. Adonai Jezek screamed at the top of his lungs as he slammed his scepter against the table, smashing the massive table in two halves. The horrible violent act rocked the hall and was only capped by Adonai Jezek hurling half of the table across the room, smashing it against a stone wall. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 33, Sin in the Camp and the Destruction of AI. As you can see, we are building up the current geopolitical situation in Canaan. I'm going to try to present a map for everyone, backing away from the fictional recreation of the demonic alliances which do form within the Amorite kingdoms. We glide ourselves to the plains of Jericho. Today, the distance is covered via two main roads, Route 1 and Route 90. Israel is camped here, and they are resting from the very destructive assault on Jericho. All that remained of the city was Rahab and her family, and a terror was sent through Canaan, and the nations, more like city-states of their day, were terrified of the coming Israelites, but they were assembling to fight the Israelites. Meanwhile, the mysterious Gibeonites who were missing, approximately 18 miles north of Jerusalem, are so fearful of their lives, they choose to play a ruse instead of choosing battle to survive. They determine that war is the worst option against the Israelites and refuse to join Adonai Jezek. To the north of Canaan, the northern kingdoms with the consultation of the mighty Hittites are hearing about this fearful assembly of Israelites and are considering their options. On the Mediterranean coast, the five cities of the Philistines are watching with concern. So Joshua's next action is to send spies to investigate a nearby city called Ai. AI pronounced, AI is correctly pronounced I, but us Americans have seemed to interpret it as AI. So for the sake of the podcast, we'll go with the American interpretation of, of this city called AI. The spies return and they decide to send a smaller force of 3,000 to destroy the city because it is a smaller city. The attack is repulsed and 36 of the Israelites are killed. Note, here it never says that they that Joshua consulted God prior to ordering this attack. This would be his most common error, not consulting God prior to action. Once God got Joshua's blood up, his most common error would be rash action. Here's the reaction of the Israelites after their failure to take Ai. Joshua 7.4 so about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. 
The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Well, check out how rejected Joshua was. The loss of the men was small, but the immediate drop in morale was shocking. The fear and loss of courage was absurd compared to the results. There were such strong people only one day before. It's such a picture of man. Think about it. I've heard if you look at the ups and downs of David in the Psalms, you would, you would think he was a manic depressive. Here's an emotional recap of Joshua so far. Sobbing and tears and remorse for Moses at his death. God tells him to be strong and courageous. They cross the Jordan, and he is commended and promoted by God in the people's eyes. He encounters Jesus himself, and they destroy Jericho. Now he's on his face in tears, absolutely rejected and fearful of death and doubting his purpose. The thing in the Bible, the thing about the Bible is it's so human. It's the condition of man. Call it the human condition to have highs and lows. It is what we learn in these extremes that mold our character and define our experience. I'm not vaulting Joshua. It's the human emotional condition of the world. Thinking about that spiritual concept of fear. There is good fear, the fear of the Lord, and the powerful events in the life of a believer. And then there's bad fear. Fear of loss or rejection or failure or death or destruction that comes from the enemy. It is said of the great Elijah that he was a man like you and me, subject to fault like the rest of us. Here's Joshua at a low. Check out God's answer. Joshua 7.10 The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing on your face? It's like God is saying, Listen to yourself. That's not my strong and courageous Joshua. Get up. Get that rejection thing off of you and let's deal with some house cleaning. You failed to consult and consult me prior to attacking AI. You brought something bad into my house. Let's take care of it together. Joshua 7:11. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies, turn their backs and run because they have made libel to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And then he goes on. He who is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to you. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early in the next morning, all of Israel is assembled, and God singles out Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, forward and his family for what he's done. Joshua 7:19. 
Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord and the God of Israel and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkey, sheep, and his tent, and all that belonged to him, to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned away from his fierce anger, and therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. All right, so this is a very intense and gory scene. I mean, his whole family actually dies. So let's talk about the sin of Achan. Let's start with his name. The name Achan means trouble. He brought trouble on Israel that day. All right, so what's what's significant about this theft? We had a robe from Babylonia, gold and silver. Remember, God earlier said it was devoted to destruction. The items were to be destroyed or devoted to the treasury of God. Achan was stealing from God himself because these items were withheld first fruits of the invasion of Canaan. Joshua had not been slack on warning them either. The other side is the item and its source. This is what it says again. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. If you look at the Hebrew the beautiful robe from Babylonia, it actually reads a beautiful mantle from Babylonia. It's the same use of the word from Elijah and his mantle, the same one he passed on to Elisha. This could be interpreted as a prophet's mantle. Take it further, in a Canaanite city, could it be a mantle of a false prophet or a demon worshiper? And of course, it is from Babylon, the site of the original and fallen final principality in world history. Attached to the demonic mantle would be a demonic anointing supported by a long history of demonic worship, sacrifices, and with it the assignment of numerous demons. These demons were now allowed into the camp of Israel because of Achan's action. According to one of the Jewish traditional accounts, Achan saw a robe with special magical powers and he seized it. The Bible implies he coveted these items and weighed their glory. I mean, think about it. He had to literally spend considerable time to weigh the gold and to count exactly 200 silver coins. He marveled and weighed and valued these items that were not his. From this perspective, it shows his family was possibly compliant in this act, which is so different than the sons of Korah. God's camp, which was wholly devoted to God, had an infiltration of demons. Don't get me wrong, God wasn't limited because of these demons, 
but it was the sin of man that prevented them from allowing God to move in his fullness. It was legal rights that Achan was surrendering with his covetousness. Achan's sin surrendered a legal right to claim victory in warfare. Here are some basic applications. Think about it like this. If you were a surgeon and you had a sterile environment and you were doing critical work with patients, would you bring into your operating room new tools that were taken from a corpse? Absolutely not. This is where we get to the spiritual concept of house cleaning. God is always focused on our hearts. He desires relationships and desires our affection and love to Him. That's who He is. So when we allow things into our homes and our hearts, we set up stumbling blocks and stumbling stones to our relationships with God and others. Here's another example. Say you are a father and you're devoted to growing your family and raising your family with ethics, integrity, and God's way, and you're determined to not let your children and family fall into your old sins of lust. Would you allow all of your computers and TVs to have immediate access to pornography for your children to see? Would you accept a free subscription to Playboy if this was your temptation for years, yet now you are free from it? Absolutely not. Or here's another one. Say your marriage testimony is that God has saved your marriage from miraculous adultery and you are restored to your spouse. Would you still flirt with evil and temptation with the opposite sex? Or would you keep old phone numbers of previous lovers around so you can be tempted to contact them? Absolutely not. How about this? If you suffered your whole life from a violent temperament, and the only thing that kept you from losing your temper was God, would you allow yourself to repeatedly watch violent movies? Absolutely not. It's common sense. Sometimes it's good to clean house. Remove the stumbling blocks in your life. There are so many ways to be delivered of sin. Some are radical like deliverance and others occur over time. Sometimes we can starve out our demons by never agreeing with them or feeding them. Then they have no home. If you were an Israelite and God said he was going to give you the desires of your heart if you believed and stayed faithful, would you say no to coveting gold and silver and false mantles? I would believe most of us would. But Achan did not. Achan just had too much covetousness in his heart. God was doing something absolutely incredible. He was not going to allow sin in the camp. God was dealing with sin in the camp. Sometimes it is good to settle down and let God do his work to remove impurities. This is the smelting and the work of the fire. This is the refining fire of God. With extreme heat, impure elements are taken from gold and other metals to create a more perfect stone. Jesus clearly said the pure in heart will see God. Do you want to see God? Pursue purity. Don't be obsessed with perfection. Just pursue the perfect one. God wanted to move with Joshua, but they needed to take a bath. God was saying, go take a shower, get the filth off of you, and we will talk in the morning. All right, so let's get back to AI. There's some psychological meaning to AI. It is correctly pronounced I, or consider it the ego or self. We must first deal with ourselves before we strike out against our enemies. 
It is the enemy from within which can cause the greatest damage. That we'll discuss at the end of the podcast. All right, think about this. We have another monument near Gilgal. There's 12 stones in the Jordan, 12 at Gilgal, 600,000 foreskins near Gilgal, and a heap of stones now which covered a sinner and his family. There is a lot to teach the next generation as they walk these lands in Israel. You just have to know the history to see the landscape for what it is. So much has happened in such a small amount of space. This makes the land of Israel so rich. After the punishment of Achan and his family, Joshua takes Ai way more serious. He will lead this attack with the entire army. This is where we get to the military genius of Joshua. This is where I'm going to touch on the military campaigns of Joshua, which is which are absolutely incredible. God tells Joshua to set an ambush behind the city of Ai. Knowing his intel and the condition of the enemy, which was overconfident, Joshua played this to his advantage. Joshua split his forces, sending 5,000 men between Bethel and Ai to spend the night there, unafraid of night operations. The rest of the army marched against Ai in the morning. And when the king of Ai saw the Israelites overconfident he was, he hurried out with his army to confront Joshua. Joshua's men pulled a classic fake retreat and fled backwards. Seeing complete victory slipping away from the king, the king of Ai called for all of his able-bodied men of Ai to help them in their support, which left, and when the men of Ai left to join the army from Ai to pursue the Israelites, it left the entire city defenseless. Next, Joshua positioned, positioned himself in a place for his forces to see him. Here he held out his javelin, and when he did, the men sprang up near Ai to ambush the city. They quickly entered the city, captured it, and set it afire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke and the city rising to the sky, and immediately the Israelites, who were faking a retreat, turned and advanced, pushing back the men of Ai towards the burning city and Joshua's other force of 5,000 men. The men of Ai were surrounded and annihilated. In a complete battlefield envelopment, Joshua displayed masterful division of forces, battlefield communications, discipline, strategy, and a total destruction of the enemy forces. The king of Ai was impaled on a pole and kept there until evening when he was removed and thrown down at the city gate where a large pile of rocks were piled up. Add this to the monuments in the time period for Israel here. Also, he was removed from the pole because he couldn't stay overnight or this would curse the land. This is how Joshua would treat all the defeated kings of Canaan, unlike Saul's future treatment of Agag, the future king of the Amalekites. While Joshua was consolidating his gains, for the Lord allowed them to keep the livestock of Ai, and after Joshua addressed the nation and read the laws given to Moses, and possibly while Jericho and Ai were still smoldering and ashing, a caravan or delegation arrived at the camp of Israel. Here's their appearance. They came upon donkeys that were fully loaded. They, were, they had worn out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They wore worn and patched sandals, and they had old clothes. All their bread was dry and moldy. Joshua addressed the strangers, Who are you? 
And they said, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Joshua questioned them, thinking they could be Canaanites. But he is persuaded with the leaders of Israel that they are who they said they are. And they agreed to a peace treaty in which the leaders agreed to the treaty with a vow. Three days later, they discovered they made a treaty with their neighbors, and they set out to destroy them. But upon arriving at their cities, they decided they couldn't attack them because the leaders of Israel ratified the treaty by a sworn oath. Instead, they made them slaves. Most of the Israelites were furious with this bad decision and wanted to kill the Gibeonites, but Joshua would not allow it. So due to a lie, the Israelites were tricked into making a friend with the Gibeonites. And to be clear, they didn't form an alliance with the Gibeonites. They just made a friendship and peace treaty. It is interesting that so far those spared in the invasion were a nation of liars and a prostitute. What did Jesus say? It is a sick that need a doctor, not the righteous. In Jericho, he would call Matthew the tax collector, who would host him at this house, where he would later be criticized for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Though enslaved, the Gibeonites would survive the conflict and remain in Canaan, and later, when King Saul would try to kill them off, breaking the treaty given by the elders of Joshua's day. This breaking of the treaty would invite a curse upon the land which led to a famine. And justice was made by King David in 2 Samuel 21. The clear mistake made with the Israelites here in this scene is the failure of the leaders to consult God prior to agreeing to this treaty. But what was meant to harm them would later be used in their favor. When Adonai Jezek and the other kings discovered the defection of the Gibeonites, the five kings besieged Gibeah and set the stage for Joshua's southern campaign. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I want to go back to that discussion about housekeeping. I'm reminded of when I went to purchase an apple tree so many years ago. It was an unusually warm day in December, and I asked if it was wise to plant a tree this late in the year. The answer was surprising. He said, it's a great time of year to plant a tree because the roots will go deep. This is what God likes to do with his people in winter. He is the God of seasons. Seasons are natural. It's like he says, you aren't going to bear much outward fruit in winter. So let's focus on your roots. Sometimes it's good to get back to the basics. God wants us to dig up those things we buried deep because he wants us to bear much fruit in season, and he wants our roots to go deep in him. God wants to grant you victory, but sometimes we need to clean our house. What have you allowed to enter your home and distract you from the upcoming war? What articles from Babylonia have you brought into your house? Simply refocus your eyes on what is important and look ahead. Get rid of those things dedicated to destruction because God wants to move radically, destroying enemy principalities and powers of darkness in your family and around you as you advance. Do not be the one who holds back God's blessings. The land of milk and honey and generational blessings awaits you. Pray David's classic prayer in Psalms 139.23. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Wait for God to reveal something and repent of it. 
because those thoughts and things from Babylonia need to be removed from your camp, because victory is just over the horizon. Let it be said of you that as for you and your house, you will serve the Lord. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Message of Kings. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the longest day in human history and the brilliant military campaign of Joshua against the five southern kings. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave me a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at messagedokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.